0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Conversations with Jackie and Bobby Angel. My name is Jackie. I'm one of your hosts, and today I'm joined by Bonnie Inkstrom, who is the author of "61 Minutes to a Miracle." I still actually have the the, the Fulton Sheen bookmark in here. And today, Bonnie's going to share her the story of the miraculous thing that happened to her her son, and through the intercession of Fulton Sheen. So, welcome, Bonnie.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. It's an absolute pr- pleasure.
0: Yeah, dude, we love Fulton Sheen here in our house. Um, we named our only son. We named him John Fulton, which I didn't realize <laughs> that Fulton Sheen's middle name was John. So he's Fulton yeah. John. Yeah. He says, always says Fulton J. Um, we named our Johnny that because around December 9th, you know, every day, like we we don't have names picked out. And so co- leading up to his, um, his birthday on December 23rd, it was like every day is like, is he gonna be born today? And on December 9th, it was the feast day of Juan Diego, who's mm-hmm. John, Juan, um, and the death day of Fulton Sheen. I was like, oh, John Fulton, that would be awesome. And then it just kind of stuck. And
1: yeah, we I named, love it. I love
0: John it. Fulton. And that will and- be
1: Juan Diego and Fulton Sheen will share that feast day <gasps> when he's finally oh. beatified and canonized. So how awesome. Awesome. Is
0: that? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like Fulton Sheen one of our favorite, favorite writers. He's like spiritual grandpa, along with C.S. Lewis, Pope John Paul, just Fulton Sheen's writings. Bobby makes fun of me because I highlight every single line in the book. You know, he's like, what's the point of even highlighting? So if any of you listening or watching have never read a Fulton Sheen book, um, probably the good starters would be um, three to get married is awesome. We read that when we were engaged and then um, Bobby and I did when we were engaged and then, um, the the world's first love, which is all about Mary. And would you recommend any other ones, like some of your
1: faves? So I love the world's first love. Um, that, that book, not only for Mary, but it helped me understand St. Joseph in a completely different way. Like that just rocked my world with, um, understanding St. Joseph. And I really, I really, um, thank Fulton Sheen for writing it. But the other thing is his, um, the seven last words, is a beautiful, if you're, you know, if you're looking for something for Lent, maybe that is a beautiful reflection and meditation on the seven last things that Christ said, um, during while he hung on the cross and during his passion, that's a really, and it's short, you know, like it's easy to digest. Um, so I guess those are my two favorites probably.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm sure a lot of people know if anyone follows Blessed Is She, they know that you write, you are one of the writers at Blessed Is She, but could you, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, could you just share a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So like Jackie said, my name is Bonnie Engstrom. I am married to Travis. He's a public high school teacher and I'm a stay at home mom and we have eight kids. Um, Our oldest is in high school at the public high school. Our youngest is currently watching Mickey Mouse in another room. (laughs) Um, And then we've got a lot of kids in between um, at at a mix of parochial and and, um, public school. So um, I like to garden, I like to bake, I like to cook. And I spend a lot of time, um, you know, volunteering and writing for Blessed Is She, um, speaking about Fulton Sheen when I can and my son's miracle and um, yeah, just, you know, driving. I spend
0: a lot of time driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet like chauffeur, once kids start getting older and more activities, like chauffeur becomes a yes. big part of your life. Yeah.
1: Yes,
0: definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh my gosh. So I, when I was reading this book, um, which is, I'm just going to keep showing it, 61 Minutes to a Miracle. Um, I like how you just casually drop that you have like prophetic dreams. Um, because I was <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> oh, she's one of those people because I don't have prophetic dreams. My dreams are mostly of um, Bobby, like, cheating on me. Uh, apparently, I have some deep wounds. He's like, I'm like douchebag Bobby in your dreams. I'm like, and I wake up angry at him. But you obviously have, like, prophetic dreams. And I have – the person in my life is, like, Sister Miriam James Heidlin. Mm-hmm. She has dreams that I'm pregnant um, and or, like, when I have a miscarriage. she's just has – She has so many beautiful spiritual gifts, but she'll like text me like, I had a dream last night. You were pregnant and you were due around Christmas. And then I text her back like a five-week ultrasound of Johnny and I'm like, he's, I'm like, and no one knows I'm pregnant except for Bobby and the doctor. And I'm like, baby's due December 23rd, you know? So she keeps having dreams. And at some point I'm like, okay, can you just pause the dreams for a second? (laughs) Like, you know, but you had dreams about your when you were pregnant with your first two kids like you had a dream if it was a boy or girl and they were I, right
1: I did yes yeah I actually had I had a lot of dreams but um anytime things were really intense and stuff would go wrong in my dream it was always for the other gender and then so like with my my oldest is a girl so I had all these dreams about a baby boy where like I couldn't nurse him. I lost him. Just all these horrible things happened. And then I had a dream where I was just holding a little baby girl and it was beautiful and peaceful. And I, I just knew like I'm having a baby girl. And then the same thing happened with my son. I had all these crazy dreams about a baby girl. But when I finally had a dream that was really peaceful about a boy I was like, um, this is a, this baby is a boy and he was a boy. So, cause we didn't find out we waited until the birth. So, yeah, I don't know why wow. God, well, I think God allowed that to happen because of what happened then with James, but it hasn't really happened since. So.
0: <laughs> but with James, you had a dream that your baby was blue.
1: Yeah. I, I had a dream that I gave birth to a stillborn baby boy on my bedroom floor and that is exactly what happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll come back to that. But I just want to ask: were you raised Catholic? Were you did you ever have a conversion or faith? Like, what's your faith story?
1: Yeah, I what I am a cradle Catholic. My parents are cradle Catholics, their parents are, I mean, just for generations back. And um, I think that God gave me the gift of faith. So it has always I've always been interested in my faith. I have never really strayed from the teachings of the catholic church i always went to mass um i don't know i guess i don't really have a very powerful conversion story or anything you know um in fact i remember in in high school there would be speakers who would come in and they would talk about like how they had made all these mistakes in their life and then they had this moment of conversion and they changed their whole life and it was like this powerful motivating story and i remember being like can't we just have someone who always made good decisions? Like, right. <laughs> that's the inspiration I need. Like, like I always make good choices, and I'm really happy with where my life is, you know? Um, right, which
0: means you probably also had like, so St. Paul lists faith as a charism of the Holy Spirit, and you probably also had a charism of wisdom where, like, why is everyone doing really stupid things, you know? Like, <laughs> you're like, I make good decisions in life. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's needed because... Yes, not everybody I identifies with that. Like I'm hitting rock bottom, and so you need every person in the body of Christ. You need people who've never experienced mortal sin. You've had people who are the Mary Magdalene, people who of every walk, because not everyone's going to identify with my story, and you know, vice versa, and and so we're all needed, and so your testimony of faith, having a charisma of faith and probably wisdom of knowing, like, I'm not going <laughs> to do know. these dumb things. Everyone else. Is I
1: doing. just seemed really boring. I was not very cool. I was pretty nerdy, but I was very happy <laughs> doing that. So, and it worked out well for me. So, but yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Like everyone has a story. Everyone has a place, but I don't know. Yeah, I was an so, easy child.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how did your love of Fulton Sheen come along? I mean, your husband and you, how did you guys meet? you and your husband.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, after I graduated college, I went to work for a Catholic student center in okay. my diocese. And my husband was like a super senior at in that same at that same university. So we met at that Catholic student center. And just, it was really beautiful we became very good friends over the two years that i was working there and kind of unbeknownst to us we also were falling in love but it really was just it kind of caught us off guard when we finally realized like oh it's you you know um <laughs> kind of t- turning next to him, being like you're the one that i love and but it, it's been such a blessing because and i think this is true for you and bobby like our marriage is the foundation is a really healthy friendship. Isn't that, yep. that's the same for you and Bobby, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we yeah. have, a, I hate him. No, just <laughs> <laughs> we have terrible friendships. I don't like him. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, absolutely. Like it, it's such a beautiful thing. I tried it. Well, I tried Like one of my favorite definitions of marriage is that it's friendship with romance. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a gal pal friendship. It's like the highest form of friendship. Aristotle's like your common goal is, heaven, like or you have a common goal. And when you're Christian, a Catholic, your common goal is heaven to get each other to heaven. And so, yeah, when there's a beautiful, healthy friendship and then there's that romance, you, you turn your husband like, oh, wow, you're attractive. Um, yeah, <laughs> That's a good, <laughs> that's so beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So we got, we realized we were in love and we got married, um, about seven months later. And so, yeah, awesome. it was, it was a short engagement, but we just knew it was supposed to be so.
0: Oh, I'm all about the short engagement. I tried to help him. Like, the, I had a friend who was like, keep it under nine months. Like, it is hard to be engaged for a long yes. time. Just the chastity part of it. You're like, I know I want to marry this person. Let's just do this. Um, yeah. And then and then the babies started coming. You write in your book, like babies. Yep. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Our first baby we lost in miscarriage. And then we mm. had, so we have eight babies all together. And I had eight babies in 12 years, which Wow. That was a lot. No, no twins, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so where in, in this time, like where did your guys' love for Fulton Sheen come along?
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a great question. Um, Fulton Sheen was born and raised in central Illinois, which is where I'm from. It's where I was born and raised where we live now um and so in, in a way i had kind of heard his name for a long time i would sometimes see him on ewtn but i wasn't really attracted to you know i don't i thought he looked kind of like a vampire
0: like dracula a little <laughs> bit yeah, he has like yeah, a cape with his cape
1: and the black and white and he had deep set eyes and his cheekbones teeth. yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so um you know, I was young and naive. I didn't know what I was missing, but (laughs) by the time that we were, we were married and I was pregnant with my, um, so my fourth pregnancy, my, um, third child that's alive, but, um, I don't know. I just started watching YouTube videos of him. I'd never read any of his books. Um, but I, I was listening to him preach, um, and different, different, um, sermons that he would, he, gave. And I was so moved by him. And at this point, the Diocese of Peoria, where I live, they had already opened his. (laughs) Stephen, sorry, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) So the Diocese of Peoria had just opened his cause for canonization. And I remember watching one of the videos on our computer and I called my husband over and made him watch too, because I was so compelled by what he was saying. And I turned to Travis and was like, this man is amazing, and his cause for canonization is open, and he is going to be a saint. Like, this is so, so obvious. And I was pregnant with James at the time, and we decided right then and there that we were going to put our baby under Fulton Sheen's patronage. Because we thought, Jackie, we thought that we would be the first people in the world to think about naming their son after Fulton Sheen.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> and know, you we're not.
1: <laughs> 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 but, but that was really the beginning of that relationship was watching yeah. those videos being inspired by his preaching and then and then to start praying to him um asking him to pray for our son and to walk with our son so
0: so fast forward you have a dream that your son is born stillborn and mm-hmm. on your floor and you were going to do a home birth And you kind of that kind of like made you go, wait, should I still do it? Because now that you've had this dream that like, what the heck?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But and and we had a home birth with our first child unintentionally. Bobby caught the baby. So we we also had a child on the bedroom floor. (laughs) (laughs) So we know how that goes. We, I mean, I literally have two friends who delivered their kids on the side of the freeway. So, you know, us yeah. Californians and, and, you know, people in the South, we just were like, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so you kind of had this, like it, this dream and, and then sure enough, that's what happened. So I don't, however long you want to share the story of what happened to James. Um, sure. go. I just, yeah, I, I mean, I've read the book, but I still love hearing it over and over. Oh, it's so inspiring.
1: Great. All right, well interrupt as needed but um okay so yeah so we we decided to go ahead w- this was our third planned home birth and we decided to go ahead with it um i the more i prayed about it the more i just experienced a peace about it um and you know that that peace that surpasses all understanding is a real thing so when when everything is kind of surrounding me saying, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. But inside I have peace and I have brought it to prayer over and over and over again. You know, there you go. Right. To me, that's the answer to the prayer. And so we decided to go ahead with the home birth. Um, We we used the same midwife that we had used for the previous two and her doula came, um, her assistant slash doula came as well. And everything was perfect. Jackie. Um, it was interesting. We had a friend who was there who was a former NICU NICU nurse, and she was just like <laughs> so adamant that we were making a mistake. <laughs> and um and I understand why, you know, like um I totally understand why, but there was a moment even during the labor where it was, I mean, it was so peaceful. I knew that there were people praying for me. We were praying through the labor. Um, and I remember this friend being like, yeah, this is, this is really beautiful. It was, it's so different from giving birth in a hospital. And um, I don't, you know, like people were praying rosaries while I was laboring and, and we just felt like something amazing was going to happen. You know, God had been so generous to us throughout those nine months that it felt like he was, he really had something big in store and we thought it was going to be this, you know. <laughs> just just a really blessed full life, which, you know, too long didn't read. We do have a very full blessed life. But, um, but in that moment, we had no idea that there was a knot in James's umbilical cord. Um, all the fetal monitoring that was happening showed a healthy, strong heart rate. I was progressing really well. I was doing really well. And I pushed for about 20 minutes. And in those 20 minutes, when I was delivering James, there that knot that was in his umbilical cord tightened and it tightened so much that it cut off his oxygen supply. Mm. Um, so that when he was delivered, he, he was, he was a zero on the app bar. Um, you know, so he wasn't moving. He had no color. He was not breathing. They could not find a pulse. And I remember, you know, my midwife, she caught him and then immediately placed him in my hands. I kind of like rocked back onto my knees and my heels and I was holding him. And she said, Bonnie, he needs to be stimulated. He needs to wake up a little bit. I need you to rub his chest and say his name. And, and that is, it's scary, but that happens. It's pretty typical for a baby to need to be stimulated after a vaginal delivery or even a C-section. Like birth is hard, you know? And so Mm -hmm. sometimes they just need help taking that first breath. And so I did, I rubbed his little chest and I said, James, James, it's your mama. And he didn't, he just, you know, his arms and his legs just dangled um, mm. from the sides as I was holding him, and he didn't move. And so my midwife took him out of my arms and she immediately began CPR. Um, and I remember, um, you know, like I said, I had that friend who was there praying the rosary and she was a former NICU nurse. And so I remember her saying, um, we should call 911. We need to call 911. And Travis got a cup of water and that I had been, I had just water I'd been sipping out of during the whole labor. And he used it to do an emergency baptism on James. And as soon as that was done, our friend left and she called 911 and requested life flight, which they would not, they couldn't make that happen. Um, and so then we just waited, um, watching the midwife do chest compressions and, um, and and just, you know, just waiting. Travis and I were going into a state of shock, of course, and I, I have this memory of sitting there on my bedroom floor and um, in my memory... James and the midwife are like all the way on the other side of the bedroom they're so far away from me and and I remember sitting there and like watching them across the room and and in my head thinking Fulton Sheen Fulton Sheen Fulton Sheen. Um, Yes, you can. Why don't you take your boots off too?
0: It gives us a little soundtrack for the. (laughs) I'm
1: so sorry. It's okay. Okay. So I remember sitting on the floor and saying Fulton Sheen, Fulton Sheen, Fulton Sheen, just in my head, like in this space where I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what needed to, to happen. I could not find the words to pray. But for, you know, for like six months during my pregnancy, I had been praying to Fulton Sheen every day, asking for his intercession for my son. And so I... I really truly believe that in that moment the holy spirit just guided me to call on him again you know to fall back on that habit of asking for his prayers mm. um and i remember going back to travis and telling, you know kind of walking through everything much later and telling him you know i was sitting here at the foot of the bed and james was way over there he was way over there and my husband was like bonnie You know, he, they had not cut the umbilical cord yet. He was still, he was right in front of you, but that Uh was just what, you know, the shock did. That's what the feelings of helplessness, um, they just made me feel so removed from the situation. Um, and it was, it was terrifying, but then the, the paramedics came, um, the first, it was actually first responders, God bless them, who came first, like my neighbors, you know, (laughs) So that was super uncomfortable because it was like men that I would see like walking down the street and then I had just given birth and it was like, hey, you know, you're hey, 20 guys. and single and this is weird. You know, <laughs> at least for the married men, they kind of knew what they were getting into. But, right. but some of the guys were like, oh, <laughs> but anyways, a little comedic yeah. relief in the middle yeah. <laughs> of tragedy. Um, but then the paramedics came and. We finally cut. So we thought, you know, the umbilical cord will continue to pump blood for a little bit after delivery. And so Mm -hmm. we thought, okay, well, at least he's getting oxygen through the umbilical cord because at the time we didn't know there was the knot in the cord. Uh, And so that was part of the reason we, they did not cut the cord right away, but they, they cut the cord. They took James, Travis went with them and, um, another ambulance took me to the hospital um, so that I could be monitored separately. And, it, and that, was, that was another special grace because um, as the people were caring for me in the ambulance, they were very quiet. Like I was doing, I was recovering fine from the, from the labor and de- the delivery. Um, they were mostly just monitoring me. But I remember them saying, I'm praying, you know, I, as soon as I heard the call, I started praying and there was a man and he said, my wife said that she would stay up at home and pray too. Mm. And, um, mm. you know, just to have, just to live in a place where there's, I'm surrounded by Christians who that was their first response was to pray. That was a really beautiful thing.
0: Cause um, what, what time of the day was this?
1: This was like two o'clock in the morning.
0: Oh gosh, wow.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. James was born, I think, at like 138, and we were at home for about 20 minutes. And so mm-hmm. then, the, and then we lived about 20 minutes away from the hospital. So it was about a 20 minute hospital or drive in the ambulance. And while James was in the ambulance, um, the paramedics gave him two shots of epinephrine into his shin bones. I'm not I'm not a nurse or anything. Um, I studied Shakespeare in college. <laughs> so if I get any of this wrong and you have any like nurses, doctors, EMTs who are watching this, I apologize.
0: It's <laughs> all right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, I love when people are like, Oh, I'm a doctor, and they're like a doctor of philosophy. You know, I can't like I could <laughs> I could philosophize. Like if you went on airplane the doctor, you know, I can tell you why we're here. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's like, I studied Shakespeare. Great, that's yeah. awesome. Um,
1: yeah. um, so, <laughs>
0: but they gave they gave him shots into his leg to try to start his heart.
1: Yes, yeah, They it's called an IO line. It goes straight into the, like the bone marrow, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that's not normally where they would do something like that. But in an emergency situation, it's the best chance for a really quick, powerful response. And so both of those failed. And one of those actually leaked because it's not the most stable of lines. And so by yeah. the time... James arrived to the emergency room his right leg was just it was like purple and black um from a massive chemical burn and so like if you look at his medical records it says necrosis of the tissue like
0: wow they were gonna
1: amputate the leg
0: oh my gosh so that
1: was kind of the state of things and um so at this
0: point when you got to the hospital it had been 40 minutes already without a heartbeat
1: yeah approximately Okay. approximately, because in in the ambulance, you know, at home, all they could do was feel for a pulse on his body, but they couldn't find a pulse in the ambulance. He was hooked up to a heart monitor and Mm -hmm. he was um, what they call P.E.A. on the monitor, which is pulseless electrical activity. So like if you think of a heart monitor. And there's like the, you know, the normal heartbeat that goes like up and down and then there's a little squiggle in between the up and down. Um, he didn't have the up and down, but he had the little squiggles. Um, that's the, that is the electrical activity. So like, that's what a pacemaker does, right? The pacemaker gives you the electrical impulse for your heart to actually beat. Um, and legally you can be declared dead if you are PEA on the monitor and James was PEA on the monitor, the entire 20 minute ride. Wow. I mean, of course he had a heartbeat with chest compressions, but like that's, chest compression and CPR is different from your heart actually beating. So, um, he got to the ER, it was like all hands on deck. They had had, um, there was a nurse practitioner and another nurse who had come down from the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, so that they would be ready to intubate James and just, you know, they're used to working on little bitty babies and the emergency room department. They're not used to that kind of care. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, um, So there's this whole team. Everyone's working on James. They're doing everything they can. There's a neonatologist who was on call. You know, again, it was the middle of the night. So her husband drove her into the hospital. And she's talking on the phone with the ER crew. And they're giving her updates. And she's saying, OK, try this and try this. And they would give him a medication or, you know, they would do whatever they were doing um, to try to restart his heart. And nothing worked. And you know she would say, okay, we'll try this, wait five minutes, we'll see what happens. So they would wait five minutes, there would be no response. They're doing sonograms of his heart and um, they would see every once in a while like it, his heart would kind of twitch or like there might be a little flutter, but there was never any kind of an organ in response to the medication and the things that they were doing, but there was never a sustained or complete heartbeat. And so finally the doctor just said, you know, okay, try for five more minutes and then we're going to have to call it. And so at the end of five minutes, nothing happened. And so everyone took their hands off of James so that they could call time of death. And as soon as they did that, his heart started to beat. It shot right up to, I think it was 147 beats per minute, which is a healthy heart rate for a newborn baby. And it never stopped again.
0: Wow, wow. And at this point, it had been 61 minutes.
1: Yes. And they're thinking,
0: if this baby even does, is resuscitated, or is this heartbeat does start, you're going to have a baby with a lot of, like, brain damage. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, did they tell, what else, did they kind of prep you
1: at all for what might happen? So, um, so first, they didn't even know that it had been 40 minutes. The ER team knew that he had, a, he had arrived in cardiac arrest and that he had, been a down, he had been down for approximately 20 minutes. And based on that information alone, not even knowing about the other 40, yes, they expected massive organ failure and they expected that he was going to die again. Um, he was trans, as, after he was stable, they took him up to the NICU and, um, you know, Travis said that when he, after he was stable and the doctors came out to him in the hallway, that they all had tears in their eyes. Um, and they said, you know, he's, he's alive. Like he's, but that was all that they would really say. And Travis could tell by how, what they were saying, what they were not saying and how they were saying it, that it w- it did not look good, you know, um. Right.
0: And his leg was still, his leg was still purple, black, like not looking
1: good. And in fact, um, they, they would have been the hospital called the, um, hospital chaplain and had him, you know, knowing that we were Catholic and had him come in. And, um, by this time I had arrived, I had been admitted to the maternal fetal floor so that they could kind of monitor me there. And then they finally let me go down to NICU as well and um, once we got there the hospital chaplain said you know we understand travis that you did an emergency baptism if you like we could confirm your son and mm-hmm. on one level i knew that in the roman catholic church we only bapt or we only confirm babies if they're going to die right like this is a this is a grace and a gift you know, this that the church is offering us, saying, "You know, your son, we can make him a full member of the Catholic Church. He can have every grace needed for a holy death, right?" Yeah. In in the Latin right, and so on one level, I knew that I knew that okay, this means that a doctor told Monsignor that our baby is going to die, so Monsignor is offering to confirm our son for that reason. And on another level, I had I was just like. Well, what will he do in seventh grade? Like <laughs> that was literally what I asked him. Well, what will we do in seventh grade? Like where what think
0: when be- all his other friends are getting conferred, what where what do we do? <laughs> I love that. That's such um, a mom. The mom felt like, Can we have a party too? Yeah. Even though we just get yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. And our, our
1: parish priest was had also arrived and they like looked at each other and I was totally this like. Uh, do you want to tell her? Who's going who's gonna to tell her? And finally, oh. Monsignor was like, he'll serve at the mass. <laughs> uh. So, good cover story. <laughs> good cover story. Oh my gosh. But um, yeah, so we, we had James confirmed and um, they had him sedated. We weren't really allowed to touch him because they did, were doing what they call cooling therapy. So, um, if we touched him for too long, it would warm him up too, too much. Um, So we spent the next three days just kind of waiting. And Travis and I didn't understand at the time, but really the hospital staff was just waiting for him to die. That's what Mm. they expected because that's what, you know, that's what lived experience and everything we know about science tells us would would happen. Um, And meanwhile, we were just like, hey, we need a miracle. Let's pray for a miracle. And people prayed, Jackie. People all over the world prayed. It was
0: awesome. It was awesome. Wow. So uh, three days, um, yeah, they're just thinking, okay, his heart, it started, but it's not going to keep going. Right, right. And did they, did they have a conversation with you all like, we don't give this much time to, or they, did they just not say anything? Were they just kind of like not saying stuff to you guys?
1: As I remember it, they didn't say stuff to us. Okay. Um I remember asking to go home like once he was stable and in the NICU after his confirmation. I asked to go home so I could shower and like get out of my pink robe and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they I remember the nurses saying you sh- you should you could stay like we have a room, we have a suite, you could just stay there and people could bring stuff to you. And I was like no, I want to go home. And they were like no, 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 you could, you could really stay, but I just mm-hmm. didn't understand. So that was how they were communicating things, but it's because like he
0: could die. They're thinking he could die at any moment. You might want to be here.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what they were thinking. Yeah. Thank you for articulating that. (laughs) Um, But I, and you're just
0: like, can I please, yeah. When you've given labor and all the stuff has come out of you and it's still coming out of you for however many weeks later. Yeah. You're like a shower sounds really good right now. I just want to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In my own (laughs) house, I wanted peanut butter toast. And,
0: yeah.
1: And a shower and clean clothes. Yeah. So um, and what's funny is I remember going back to the NICU the next day, I think it was, and saying, OK, well, we have people praying all over, like literally all over the world. Um, what should they pray for? Like specifically, what does James need to do to show improvement beyond just like the general may he be healed kind of a thing? Right. I want him to be okay. You know, like what does okay actually look like? And but hey, this, mother
0: Teresa said, be specific when you pray. So yes. it's good to be specific when you pray and have specific goals. Yes, yeah.
1: Yes. And so, um, the, the, nurse practitioner said, Bonnie, he needs to pee. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had gained like two pounds in just in water weight. Um, wow. yeah, he was just a bloated baby from all the medicine and the IVs and everything. And they're like, he, he needs he needs to pee, and so, um, and she even said like he needs to pee this many fluid ounces an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so I went home and I put it on Facebook because you know why not? Like guys, my I need kid to needs pray. to pee.
0: Pray for him to pee. Yes. This is yes. yeah step number one.
1: Um hashtag yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pray for pee. And so when I went back the next morning, the nurse practitioner, practitioner said Bonnie not only did he pee, he peed out of his catheter. And he pooped (laughs) and the, I mean, you know, your body, when your body is going through a trauma, it protects the more vital organs first. Right. So your colon, while it's important, it is not as important as your liver and kidneys. Right. Um, so the fact that his liver and kidneys were working and they were working really well, that was huge because again, they were expecting those organs to shut down.
0: Right. right. And, and what day was this at this point? Was this, me, this like day four?
1: I think this was like day. I don't remember anymore.
0: It's okay. It's in, probably in your book.
1: It's... I'm, sure it's in my, <laughs> I'm sure it's in my book. It was in the first few days of his life. I know that. Okay. So, um, it, and he might've even still been sedated. It might've even been like day two or day three okay. when this happened, but, um, And so, so then again, you know, the fact that his colon was doing what it was supposed to do, this was amazing. And in the, like the first 24 to 36 hours of his life, his leg started to heal that leg that was dead, that they were going to amputate was healing. And like, it was just the coolest thing Whereas you know, you could come back every hour and check on it. And like his, his toes were like normal color, his feet were normal color. And then it would kind of like his hip was like a normal color and it would just kind of move to a mm-hmm. reddish area where it was still healing and then a, like a scar. What is now, a, he has two scars on his legs. And it was just wow. amazing to see the progress of how that healing was happening. Um, so then it became not just a comp- uh, a belief that he was going to die, but they still felt like James was going to have a a very hard life. So, okay, because his, you know, his organs are not quitting the way we thought they were gonna quit, but um, you know he's gonna be blind, he's going to always need a feeding tube, he'll always need diapers, he'll never be able to walk, he'll, you know, his cerebral palsy will be very severe, he won't be able to hold up his own head. So like, if he lives, he'll be so medically frail that we don't suspect he'll live, too too long but if he lives long enough to like need a wheelchair like even his head will have to be supported by the wheelchair that was the kind of you know diagnosis that we were being given that the the life that we were being prepared for and that was really hard I'll just be completely honest that was really hard um yeah because it felt like you know every baby is a gift of course, um, but it felt like God was taking him away from us piece by piece by piece, and mm-hmm. um, it was so painful. And I just remember, like, raging in my prayer. You know, like, you know, when you're real, I don't know if you've ever been really angry at God, and you're just like, "You're a crap gift giver." You know, if a baby <laughs> is a gift, you're a crap gift giver. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, um, but there was just this, it was a really powerful moment in my life where, um, I just knew kind of after I unleashed the storm and in that silence after the storm, I just knew I can, ch- I can choose hope or I can choose despair. I can yeah. choose light or I can choose dis- darkness, you know, yep. like, just like yeah. what it was it? Moses. The Lord has laid out before you a blessing or a curse, you know, yeah. choose life and i decided to choose life. i didn't want to live a life of despair. so no matter who or how james was going to be, whatever his limitations or abilities, i was going to choose hope and light and and trust Amen. in christ, you know. yeah. um and that was really a turning point for us. a complete wow. turning point for us.
0: yeah. so keep so day so he, he pees and then what's like the next ma- marker that you're like telling people to pray for? Like what's kind of yeah. the next steps that he had to get through?
1: Yeah, so um, things like, um, you know, a lot of babies are born with a little hole in their heart. So they, they wanted to make sure that that hole closed. So I remember asking people mm-hmm. to pray for that to close, which it did. Um, I remember asking people to pray for, he sometimes ha- would aspirate, with taking bottles. And so I remember asking people, you know, he had to have what they call, well, I don't know if they still call them this, but they called them cookie swallows, where they would do Mm -hmm. like a test to watch people eat or drink food and and liquid. And so we did a lot of those tests. I remember people, you know, praying like, he needs to pass this, he needs to pass this, Um, for his eyes to follow us, you know, um, which they did. just little things like that. And I remember by, he was seven weeks old when he left the NICU and kind of mid, right before he left, a few days before he was discharged, I remember talking to one of the nurses and just saying, I'm really scared because, you know, here, this place is scrubbed down twice a day. (laughs) Um, He's hooked to all these monitors. If he has an issue, there's alarms and bells that go off. And like Mm -hmm. at my house, it's just going to be me, you know, <laughs> you know? And I was really afraid of that. And she said, the nurse said, Bonnie, he's a normal baby and he just needs to go home and do normal baby things. And that mm. was the first time anyone used the word normal with James. Um, but that at this really- point, seven
0: weeks in the NICU, were they still, but they they had done all the tests and were they just like shocked that he kept making all these milestones or were they still kind of like, Dire.
1: Is it okay if he just hangs out with us? for? Yeah, a sure. Okay, we'll give it. Okay. Sorry.
0: This isn't James, by the way. This is.
1: Yeah, this is not James. This is Stephen. James is a. Stephen. Yeah. And I am my deal. <laughs> see, he sees himself on the computer. Okay. I'm sorry, You're very that handsome.
0: That's right. Yeah, they love seeing themselves on the computer. Yes, really. um, so at the end of seven weeks, at this point where they convinced like, Oh my gosh, like he's going to live a normal life. Cause they had, had they done brain scans and then they'd done an MRI and his brain was, everything that's, looked good. Yeah,
1: that's a great question. Um, so they had done a, um, they had done a lot of EEGs and that showed improvement. So like his, the brain waves, they went from being very abnormal to fine um, over the course of, uh, especially that first week. And then Mom. in the first, is that more pause? No, you have to be quiet if you're going to sit here. Otherwise, you have to go play, okay? Okay. Um, I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Um, also, in the first, I, I can't remember if it was 24 hours or 36 hours of his life, they did an MRI. And that MRI showed pretty extensive brain damage. Wow. But they didn't do another MRA until he was about six months old. So um, it was something where we had to take him back to the hospital to do that test. So we received the results from the MRA the week before Christmas, and it showed a completely normal brain. And it just, it felt like a Christmas miracle, right? To get these results that what had once been, where there had been severe brain damage, everything was healthy. It was awesome. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So every time I'm sure you went back to the doctor to go get tests done and they found out, you know, cause you, you told one doctor, one doctor was like, Oh, he, he didn't have a heartbeat for 61 seconds. You were like, no, no, no. 61 minutes. Yes. The doctor was like, what? Yes. Are you kidding?
1: Yes. <laughs> they didn't believe me. And a lot of people questioned my, my sincerity. And it was kind of nice to be able to say you have his medical record. <laughs> Just like right. If you don't believe me, look it up. I'm telling you the truth. But yeah, um, yeah, it was it was awesome. As he met Milestones, you know, I think everyone was just kind of amazed. And and he still has struggled with a few things. Um, he has a childhood apraxia of speech, but um, we have another kid who also has childhood apraxia of speech. And, you know, one of them was dead for an hour, the other was not. So Right. You know, um, doctors will look at James and they'll say, well, obviously he has this problem because of what happened at his birth. But when I ask, okay, well, why does my other kid have this problem? They're like, sometimes we just don't know. My <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he does. I mean, when your body goes through that much trauma, there's going to be things are, things are going to last. Do you, you know what I mean? I really believe that's true. Um, And I, I think that God allowed, um, God allowed, he restored James to life fully, but I also believe that God allowed some of that, some of the experiences to stay with him, um, because God invites us all to suffer, you know?
0: Well, yeah. I have a friend who's like, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus isn't still like bopping around. You know what I'm saying? Like he he died again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And before that happened, I'm sure he got the cold. He might've gotten food poisoning. He stubbed his toe, (laughs) you know, like bad stuff still. Maybe, maybe, you know, we don't know, but bad stuff still happens. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, James is in sixth grade now and they said he'd be blind. He's not blind. They say, they said he'd be in a wheelchair. He, you know, he rides his bike. He cooks his own breakfast. Um, You know, he, he struggles in some ways.
0: I mean that's a miracle in itself that a kid can make their own breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Can I, I'll just pray for the intercession of Fulton Sheen for that. Like, uh, can I, my kid make their own breakfast? Oh my goodness, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, and and so essentially, within a few months later, you say in your in the book that your mom was like, "You need to call the Fulton Sheen." Was it is it like the foundation or they're yes. like? An, they they kind of listen to all these miracle stories, mm-hmm. and you're kind of thinking like, oh yeah, they're probably just gonna be like, oh amen, praise God yeah. for your great story. But yeah. they really were like, wait, say now, say what again? You know, yes. say what yes. now? Yes. Um, and then the nun who heard your story, and you had a couple different things where then the Monsignor heard the story, and they're like, this is not just like, again, like I had a cut and I prayed through the decision of Fulton. She-. Like this is something major that you like have again all the mur- the the medical records mm-hmm. the 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 doctors and the nurses that they're like there is no way this kid should be alive and um and healthy like completely like no brain damage no like so tell us a little bit kind of just what happened so you called and then you're kind of on this whirlwind of they're really thinking like you this could be a case for, as a miracle to be sent for once Fulton Sheen, because at this point he, was he only a servant of God? Correct. He wasn't venerable of Fulton Sheen yet. Okay. Right. So for people who don't know, there's different stages. And actually I love that in the book, Bonnie, that you kind of outline the phases, like what has to happen for these phases? Because I mean, even I'm always still like, wait, what has to happen again? You know? <laughs> Essentially, though, once they prove that there's there's a heroic life of holiness, Mm -hmm. they they open the cause, they're a servant of God, and then they declare a heroic life of holiness, then they become venerable. And then you need a miracle for beatification, and you become a blessed, and then you need another miracle to become a saint, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's perfect. Yep. Okay, so, um, and you go into more depth in your book, which is so awesome. Um, So essentially, just kind of share the whirlwind um, that you went on once you shared that story with sister kind of, kind of share a little bit about what happened.
1: Sure. So, um, and it was, it really was a a whirlwind. we did not know what we were really signing up for. (laughs) Right. Um, We were just kind of like, okay, sure. Yeah, we can get you the medical records. Okay. You know, not a big deal. And there was this awesome. So, um, the, there's what they call the postulator. And he is oftentimes a canon lawyer, and so he's kind of the guy who prepares all the documents and and argues the position that this person is a saint. Um, You know, first they argue that this person lived heroic virtue, then they um, argue that a a miracle happened through the intercession of just that saint. So as he and um, Dr. Ambrosi was our postulator. I think he's since retired, but um, they called him the saint maker. Like this is a man who has seen many, many alleged miracles across his desk. And so when he heard James's story, because they had already actually fully investigated two other miracles, like done full tribunals, interviewed everyone, had the medical records. They were going to, um, they were ready, you know, to submit either one of those as soon as Fulton Sheen was declared venerable. But when Dr. Ambrosi saw James's story, he just said, you know, people don't come back to life after being dead for an hour. Like this is, this is the miracle that we need to do. And so they submitted it and, and um, it was, it was kind of cool because um, at the time it was Pope Benedict and Pope Benedict knew Fulton Sheen, right? Like they were together at um, Vatican II. And so I, I remember hearing about how um, Pope Benedict would was kind of talk, he was interested in what was happening and in how Fulton Sheen's cause was progressing. And as people like in the congregation for the causes of saints, you know, as they are kind of talking about, there's this miracle of a, a baby coming back to life after 61 minutes. Like again, it was just something that a miracle of biblical proportions, right? Like right. pretty, pretty amazing. Um, there was a tribunal, a full tribunal that they did for James. And that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever get to be part of a secret tribunal.
0: <laughs> Cause you couldn't really say anything yet, right? You were told kind of, we have to investigate all this. Like we don't want the media to, yes. to know all about, this. like we have to investigate everything first and they're going to interview the nurses and the doctor, like mm-hmm. they're going to interview people. Cause this, they, it's not just like, oh, it's a miracle. That's great. Like they really investigate this heavily to make sure there was no scientific reason, no medical reason that this should have happened, that this person, nothing, no intervention that, except for the intercession of Fulton Sheen and obviously the grace of God, that Mm -hmm. this kid should be alive.
1: Exactly. I would almost say that they're, they are almost trying to disprove it. Right. So- and yeah. and
0: you and I probably be, because we're in circles of people who there have been miracles like I know a woman whose cancer was healed
1: mm-hmm.
0: through the intercession of a saint. Um, I know someone whose baby or kid drowned and they prayed over the the kid and came back to life. You know, you and I know a lot of miracle stories and yeah. and um just amazing things. Sicknesses healed, things healed in the name of Jesus. All this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure whenever you have a case of someone who was dead, for a long time, I mean, right. A long time, like without a heartbeat, that's, that's pretty like, Oh my gosh, like this is, we're going to investigate this. This is pretty miraculous.
1: Right. And I know even, um, during the interviews, like they spoke to the emergency room doctor, they spoke to some of the nurses, they spoke to several of the neonatologists. And I know there was one neonatologist who, um, when I asked her, if I could submit her contact information and her name to the tribunal, um, as you know, I, I went to the NICU and I was like, Hey, doctor. And she was like, Oh, Hey, how is our little miracle? And I was like, funny, you should say that. <laughs> and, uh, but then when kind of, when pushed against the wall, she did not want to say that James was a miracle. And I hmm. know like in her, um, because, because of my position as James's mom, I was able to, um, look at the, you know, the, all of the paperwork that was mm-hmm. sent to Rome. And I, I know in her interview, she just kind of said, well, you know, you would expect a positive response if this happened. And there's a doctor who's part of the interview session. And he would look at the medical records and say, well, right here, it, it says, and I think this is, you know, your, these are your notes that's not what happened you know and right. so then she would well well if this happened then this happened then this happened then that would explain why james why james is okay but they were always able to go back and say okay but right here in the medical it records didn't. we can see that that's not what happened right and i mean that is that is just that is the providence of God right there, you know, that, that this miracle happened in such a way that there is such a body of evidence and of proof. If I would have had a birth at a hospital, I would have been monitored the entire time. And like we, they were doing occasional, <clears throat> excuse me, occasional fetal monitoring. Right. But I would have been having, you know, that thing that they like stick on your side and they would have known the moment his heart rate started to decrease. And they would have done an emergency C-section and we would not have the miracle that we have today because everything else would have been different, you know? Mm. But, and I really yeah. believe that's true. And talking to my friends who, who are doctors, who are experts, they feel the same way. Like this would be a very different story. It would have been very hard to prove a miracle, but, but God just made every, he set the table. He lined every, up every single detail And he made it so that this was crystal clear that it was a miracle. And it was a miracle through the intercession of of Fulton Sheen. And it was a miracle for the glory of God and the good of his church. I completely believe that with my whole heart. It's amazing.
0: Amen. 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 And so it took about a year for that to happen. And then they kind of decided that even though they had those two other miracles in the bag, they kind of were going to use your guys's. Yes as yes. for when it came time to use it for the beatification right of fulton sheen. As, yeah
1: dr Ambrosi just felt like it was the it was the easiest strongest case to argue and so as soon as fulton sheen was declared venerable by the congregation for the causes of saints the very next day they submitted james's miracle to the, wow which is just crazy but wow but yeah there's a there's a variety of stages that for a miracle to be fully approved it has to go through a, a variety of steps so yeah. um, like there's a team of medical experts who had to review james's miracle and that when they reviewed it they also called in and asked for extra information like they wanted updated information to make sure that james was still doing well but they unanimously approved it as a miracle and then it went to a team of theologians and they had to investigate to make sure that it was through the intercession of Fulton Sheen, and not you know Fulton Sheen and this guy over over here, you know. Um, so they unanimously unanimously approved it as a miracle through Fulton Sheen, yeah. and then it went to the cardinals and bishops who sit on the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, and with those two recommendations from the medical experts and the theologians, they unanimously approved it, which that is very rare the fact that all of those people unanimously approved the miracle that that's almost like another little miracle
0: <laughs> yeah, um, that
1: that yeah. happens so
0: um so essentially now or fast forward to 2019 we're still they're still waiting for the beatification because yeah. there was a they paused the yeah so the Pope cause, francis
1: but- also approved the miracle um but then wow. there was what we call the pause and the cause um yeah. so they're just kind of waiting on some things in America to settle down um, before they are able to kind of restart the process. But as soon as as soon as it is, the, you know, they unpause it, there will be a beatification. Um, it should be right here uh-huh. in Central Illinois, and it's going to be amazing. So then it will be Blessed Fulton Sheen, and then we'll need some other person to. Um, I sure can. We'll need some other person to have a miracle, and then it'll go through the whole process all over again.
0: Wow! Wow! They can't just use one of those other miracles, like the other no, two. Oh, they,
1: they—they can't actually. Oh my God! They, they prefer That's for it to be a miracle that happens after the beatification.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So, if I ever have anything happen, or right. anyone listening, just <laughs> just remember after he's beatified, Fulton Sheen and nobody else. No, don't else. ask. For, nobody
1: else. I know. I remember during the interviews, they were like, "Did they ask for anyone? Did you ask for anyone else's intercession?" And I was like, "Well." Mary and they're like, yeah, that's great. <laughs>
0: yeah, we're, she's all right. Yeah, she's alright. Yeah,
1: she's. That's good. fine. That's fine. And then they yeah, also, they're friends. You they know. also were like, does anyone, do you know, people who believe it was a miracle? And I was like, yes, I have so many friends who believe it was a miracle. Do they believe it was a miracle through Fulton Sheen? Yes, like so many people believe it was a miracle through Fulton Sheen. Do you yeah. know anyone who doesn't believe it was a miracle through Fulton Sheen's intercession? Yes, and they're all like, ooh, who who is that? And I was like, Protestants. <laughs> that's and they're like,
0: oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> they'll catch up later. That, they'll, yes, they'll, right. Yeah, they'll catch on. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm so – yeah. I, and, and anyone, obviously, they can get your book, 61 Minutes to a Miracle by Bonnie Engstrom. It says Fulton Sheen and a True Story of the Impossible. Um, they can find it on – wow, that's hard. Okay, there we go. Um, Amazon. Yep. Or
1: OSV.
0: OSV. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And do you do you go around and speak – about this as well?
1: Um, not really anymore, just because okay. my life is so busy, and I feel like God is asking me to first and foremost fulfill my vocation, you know, as a wife and mom. And so yeah. doing things, I, I will Skype into classrooms and stuff like that. That's really yeah. fun, but I don't I only am able to speak locally anymore just because of of my primary vocation. But hopefully in the future, Um, when life is less hectic and more people in my life can drive, (laughs) I'll be able to travel again.
0: (laughs) I'm telling you, there's a few clutch moments of child. It's like once they turn into teenagers and you have a built-in babysitter, Mm -hmm. once they can drive yes, (laughs) yes, and drive their siblings or, you know, oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining me. And where else can people find you?
1: Um, I, I do have an Instagram account. I'm not super active on there, um, but that's at Bonnie Engstrom. I write for Blessed Is She. So I've written some books for them, and I'm a daily devotion writer. So you can find me there. Um, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you know, at Mass, we'll see each other in communion, right? With the Lord, yeah. so...
0: That's right. See in the Eucharist. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And um, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And so make sure you get the book, check out more Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen, pray for us, but we're definitely going to get some more miracles up there. Um, But anyways, thank you so much, Bonnie and everybody else. You guys will see you next time. Thank you for joining us.